Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Life in the Deep End by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, your word is living and active and my job is already done. There's nothing more that I could add except to ask this morning that your word would reach people's hearts. Lord, that you would cut through any barriers and any obstacles and that your word would become living and active in each and every one of us, I pray. Your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, uh, if you'd like to meet me in Luke chapter 18, I'll get there in a moment. Um, The September is, uh, over the month of September, I would like to call September Vision Month, in which I would like to, in a sense, outlay uh, the vision that I see for us as a church in some respects. But I need to highlight that vision isn't always about ABCs and one, two, threes. And what I mean by that is how quite often vision uh, works out in people's lives is different for the individual. So uh, scripture tells us that through a lack of vision, my people perish. But it's actually through a lack of prophetic vision that my people perish. I believe that God desires to give us a horizon that we should all be setting sail for. It's kind of like I would like to sort of send a postcard from the Rock Church from three to five years from now. And I, I was praying and asking the Lord what it is that, that, that we need. You know, I, looking through the epistles... I've got to be honest, when I read the epistles of Paul and I I start to look at what he prayed for, for the churches, he he never prayed for necessarily their physical needs. He always prayed for things such as, you know, I pray that they would know you more. Wow. But what about the new building program, Paul? No, that that didn't matter. I, I, I see that Paul didn't pray for the worship team He didn't pray for the morning tea team or anything like that. He prayed that they would know God more. He prayed that their faith would increase. And in Ephesians 3, he says, for this reason, I bow my knee and pray. He was praying for a heart transformation. And I want to talk this morning about the kingdom of God in some respects, but I want to talk about going deeper with God. We all want to go deeper with God, don't we? We all want to go deeper with him. And the sad reality is that too many of us live life in the shallow end of the pool. It's like we've got the best of both worlds here at the shallow end, God. We're wet and we can touch the bottom. God says, I want you to be both wet but unable to touch the bottom and completely relying on me to keep you afloat. When I look at the book of Acts, I've heard a lot of people say to me, I want to do church like like they did in the book of Acts. Really? These guys were committed. I read through the book of Acts twice, actually, in the last month. Not that that's anything. It was a quick read. But I started to point out some of the stuff that was different that I see in the book of Acts to us. And I want to inspire you, and I want to kind of lift your vision in some respects, because we look at the book of Acts as something that is past, something that was for them, something that isn't for us now. And I want to ask the question, why not? Why not? Why can't we experience God at that level? And I I found that they were a community that was baptised in the Holy Spirit. And that means different to speaking in tongues. You see, 
Well, I read in the book of Acts, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues, but I also see that they were baptised in the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word for baptised is baptizo. And it's a, it's a term we would use if we were dyeing fabric. And you would take a white piece of fabric and you would, you would put it into purple dye and you would pull it out and it would be baptisoed because it would be completely purple. They were a community that had the Holy Spirit baptisoed into them. They were a community, and here's a big one. This is the one that we've got to get. We've got to stop tearing each other apart because there is one thing that stands out about the book of Acts compared to sometimes the church today. They were of one accord and they were together. You read the first six chapters of Acts and you tell me how often you come across the word together or one accord. We read through the book of Acts that there was many signs and wonders and so many people say, and I hear people pray, Lord, we want to see signs and wonders. And they did see signs and wonders, but they saw signs and wonders that accompanied the preaching of the gospel. If you want to experience, here's the the key thing. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, here's the one thing you've got to do. Get off your bum and go and speak. These guys lived on the edge. These guys in the book of Acts lived where if God, you don't show up, we're done. And he showed up each and every time. You read through the book of Acts, Paul, one of the most devout men I ever knew, according to scripture, outside of Christ. I mean, here's a guy that was zealous for the things of God, but he was stoned. And that means something different than in those days. It meant something different than it does today, particularly in Nimbin. He was stoned. They dragged him out of the city because they thought he was dead. He he speaks of how many times he received the 40 lashes minus one. Prosperity gospel, Paul wants his money back. But I want to encourage you because the kingdom of God is very simple. It is really, really simple. The answer to going deep with God is really, really simple. We complicate it. We get the, we get the vehicle and the treasure all mixed up. Dallas Willard says we so often mix up the, the vehicle and the treasure. See, what we do here on a Sunday is a vehicle for the treasure, and the treasure is the presence of Christ. I want to share with you two of the shortest but most profound parables in the Bible. Matthew 13, chapters, uh, verses 44 and 45 say this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and, and Jesus wants to describe something that they can't see. You can't see it. I'm going to try and help you to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven or this radical community, because that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's a, it's a community of people. It's like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Let me read the other one to you. Sounds a little bit the same. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and brought it. And too often we read these parables thinking that they relate to us. They're thinking that it is us that finds the kingdom of God, that it's us that has to give up everything. Pause on that one for a moment. We'll get back to that one in a moment. But I, when I read these parables again recently, I realised that when it comes to buying and selling, I don't have anything to sell or anything that I could use to purchase God at all. 
what I actually realise is this isn't speaking about me. This is speaking about God. The kingdom of heaven is like God comes down and sees something of great value and that is every person sitting in this room. Three things stand out in these parables. First one is the value that lays in what was purchased. And I couldn't believe this. I could not believe that God valued me so much that he'd give up everything. Because the next thing that stands out is the price that was paid to purchase. And the means of purchase. They sell everything. God gave up everything to obtain us. If you have not heard of A.W. Tozer, he writes a book called The Pursuit of God. You must read this book. And in this book he says, and I believe these parables highlight this, he says, God is waiting to be wanted. God wants us and he's waiting for us to reciprocate that. I want to share with you today from the lives of two men. We'll start with one. And one will remain in the shallows when he leaves Jesus. And the other will be so deep in Jesus you couldn't believe it. But it is a very simple thing that separates the two of them. And I want to have a look at them. The first one is the rich young ruler. Let's read from, uh, if you're with me, in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. It says, and their ruler asked him. And this is also an account in Matthew and also in Mark. And we see that this ruler is rich. He is young. And he would be most likely a ruler over the local Sanhedrin. This is... This is uncommon to reach this level of prestige at such a young age. But we see that we have a rich young ruler who comes and asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Whenever we're speaking about what it is that we have to do, we're talking about a shallow experience with God because you can't buy anything from God. You can be as righteous in your own eyes as you like. You can give as much money as you like. Jesus doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your acts of kindness. He wants your heart. What must I do? The currency of this world is deeds. The currency of the kingdom of heaven is dependence. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Jesus asks him a question. And we know that when Jesus asks a question, he's not looking for information. You know, in Genesis, as I said a couple of weeks ago, in Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve eat of the tree and, and Adam goes and hides and God comes down and says, Adam, where are you? Who knows that at that point God hadn't lost them? Who knows that God hadn't gone, where did I put those humans? But what did happen is uh, Adam had to answer and says, well, I was afraid of you and I hid. Why were you afraid, Adam? And in many thousands of years, nothing's ever changed. People are running and hiding from God because we don't want him to see what's inside here. Why do you call me good? And this is a great question to ask because Jesus says no one is good except God alone. And he's right. And what he's saying to the rich young ruler is if you're saying that I am God, we need to have a completely different conversation here. 
And the word good there speaks of something that is good in character and constitution and is beneficial in its effects. Timothy Keller says of the rich young ruler that he makes two mistakes. Firstly, he thinks that Christianity is something that you can add. I'll add this to my resume. Jesus, you've got something I want and I want to, I want to add this to my resume. The second mistake he makes is he thinks that Christianity is something that you do, says Timothy Keller. See, Jesus isn't interested in what we have. Jesus is interested in whose we are. What do you call him good? Are you seeking me just for benefits? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus goes on and says, you know the commandments. And we all know the Ten Commandments, don't we? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfil it. Do we still live by the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is five do deal with our vertical relationship with how we behave before God. And another five deal with our horizontal relationships and how we deal with one another. And Jesus says to the rich young ruler, seeing how we're talking about a shallow experience here, why don't I just list the five that deal with the horizontal? We'll get to the vertical in a moment. And Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and honour your father and mother, particularly on Father's Day. <clears throat> and he's just dealt with the shallow experience here. You know the commandments, you know what you have to do. You've got the formula, right? We're all in search of the formula. I spend enough time in pastoral circles to hear that everybody's looking for the magic formula. I've had conversations with people, I've only been here 18 months, but I've had conversations with people that have come and said, wow, great place, what have you got to offer? Jesus. What else do you want? You've got the formula though, haven't you? You've You've got the calculator out. You've got the abacus. You, you can work it out. You can work out how it is to go deep with God. You've, you've got all the commandments down, Pat. You're, you're rich. You're young. You've got everything ahead of you. Turns out that he hasn't. Let's keep going. He turns around and he says, All these I, underline the word, underline the word I. All these I have kept from my youth. Well, the rich young ruler is saying, all these I have done, I have accomplished all of this. And uh, he doesn't realise that uh, he needs to make a power shift. Every single one of us, both on an individual level and a corporate level, need to make a transformational shift in our lives where we stop using the word I and we begin to use the word you when we're talking to God. Mark Connor says we need to have a power shift where the power doesn't rest in us. The answers don't lie within us. All of the answers lie within him. That's what drives Paul to his knees, where he says, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> One of the greatest apostles and pastors that ever walked the planet was the apostle Paul. He passed it better from jail than he did when he was out. That's not a hint. <laughs> and it's not a challenge. But he passed it on his knees because he realised the biggest thing you actually need is a heart transformation. And I can't make that happen. I don't have a formula for that. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, 
He says, one thing you still lack. Now we're going to deal with the vertical. We've dealt with the horizontal and you want to go deep with God. You want to get out of the shallows. That's, uh, let's, let's talk about going deep with God. There's one thing that you still lack. And the word lack means to leave behind. So in other words, to the rich young ruler, he would say, in all of your pursuits, you've left something behind. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He doesn't want his money, friends. This is not a command this morning, so don't go home and mortgage your house. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is why it's individualistic. He's dealing with the outside to try and deal with the inside. He says to the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have because you actually don't have any possessions. They have you. You're looking to climb the social standing. You're looking to increase your status. You're looking for added benefits. Go and sell all that you have. When you sell something, you're never looking to get it back, are you? When I was reading through this, I began to realise, you know what, Lord, there's some some things in my heart that I've got to put a for sale sign on. There's some things that... I need to get rid of. There's some things that have got hold of me. I know it's hard to believe that super spiritual pastors have that problem too, but we do. Go and sell all that you have because now what we need to do is we need to shift values. You see, whatever it is that you value will drive your life. And you see, when God is the only thing that you value, it doesn't matter who's playing worship on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter who you're sitting next to. It doesn't matter who's preaching. Because we value God. Go and sell all that you have and distribute to the poor because if you'd empty your hands for five minutes, you might just be able to empty your heart as well. And then, then we can talk and do, do business. And Jesus says, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want a heart change, have a treasure change. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about in the Old Testament where God says to Israel, you are my treasured possession. That's a beautiful term, treasured possession. Because it's kind of a kingly or a, or a royal kind of uh, saying where although Israel may have much treasure, and they did, by the way, by the time we get to David, they were, they were quite well off. Uh, Solomon makes the mistake of, I think it is, that shows them all the riches. The treasured possession is what you've got in the safe. That's the best way for us to understand. It's like you could walk into a, a, a big house, a big mansion, uh, plenty of cars, no Range Rovers, plenty of cars, you know, and all of these things. And who knows you'd go for the safe. If you were a thief, who knows the most valuable of all things would be in the safe. That's what a treasured possession is. A treasured possession isn't all that other stuff. The treasured possession is what you keep in the safe. It's what you, it's what you guard. It's, yes, I've got all that other stuff, but this is my really special treasure. This is my priority. This is what I value the most. And when God is what we value the most, it completely changes what we do on the outside. The the funny thing is, I shouldn't have even called this radical. 
Jesus was radical, but he thought he was normal. The guys in the book of Acts thought they were normal and everybody else. Is it really radical to respond to God in this way? When I read those parables in Matthew, I don't think so. Go and sell all you have and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Can you put that quote up, please, Steve? I'd just like to share a quote with one of the wisest preachers I've ever known. You got that first, Terry. Well done. The irony of the gospel is that receiving Christ is absolutely free, but following him will cost us everything. And that's not in the fine print. That's not like the insurance documents where you read all the glamorous stuff and then you get to the bottom and it's, oh, by the way. No, no, Jesus put that at the top and said, anyone that's going to come after me, you're going to take up your cross. You can't buy salvation. It's a free gift of the grace of God, but it will cost you everything. That's the irony. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, very disheartened or deeply grieved. Excuse me. He became very sad, for he is extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Who knows that's not easy? (coughs) Than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? I love Jesus' answer here. I love his answer. Who then can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. You're sitting there thinking, well, nobody's ever going to enter the kingdom of God. Who would ever pay that price? No rich man would ever do that. Please turn the page. We come to chapter 19 and verse 1, and we meet an interesting little dude called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus in chapter 1, it says that speaking of Jesus, it says he entered Jericho and was passing through. Please note that Jesus was passing through Jericho. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. In fact, those two things went hand in hand. If you were a tax collector, you were desperately unliked in the first century. You were known, you only could possibly profit by being fraudulent and ripping people off. If you were a chief tax collector, you were a master of it and everybody else was learning from you. So now we meet Zacchaeus, who is obviously awfully rich. He's a chief tax collector, so he probably eats alone at the restaurants. And he was seeking, he was seeking something different, it says, than the rich young ruler, because he was seeking to see who Jesus was. That's a bit of a difference. The rich young ruler came to see what he could get. What benefits are there? How can I add this to my resume? Zacchaeus says, I just want to know who this guy is. (laughs) It's interesting that when the motivation is different, the transformation is wowzers more different. Let's keep reading on. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. It's probably Tasmanian. (laughs) So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he's about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, this is the same Jesus that was passing through Jericho, 
says he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. I don't want to pass through Jericho anymore. I'm going to eat with you. And I want to point to something that happens next where Zacchaeus is going to end up having a very deep experience with Christ. But have a listen to what happens with everybody else. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. There's how to stay in the shallow end, right there. They could have probably eaten with Zacchaeus as well. He hasn't eaten with anyone for a while, I would imagine. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. I want to tell you something that's, that desperately shocks me when, when we realise this, but the fact of the matter is that the kingdom of heaven is likely to be filled with tax collectors and prostitutes, and hell is likely to be full of Pharisees. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, listen to the difference. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, if, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. I can't imagine that he's got a whole lot left after that. He's given half away and then the half he's got left is going to repay everybody four times. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. One man walks away from Jesus desperately sad and grieved. And another man says, has Jesus said that today salvation has come to your house? We always... We always look at things in the book of Acts and think that is a long way off for us. We could, I even hear preachers today say that was, that was for then, that's, that's died out now. Smith Wigglesworth would argue that. Charles Finney would argue that. John and Charles Wesley would argue that. William and Catherine Booth would argue that. Billy Graham, <laughs> what a man. Billy Graham would argue that. There's people in this room that are bearing the fruit of the ministry of Billy Graham, is there not? What a wonderful man he is. And may he rest. I'd like to ask the worship team if they could come back, please. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we read about the Laodicean church in, in chapter 3 and how Jesus comes to them and says, you know what, I, I, I see your works, I see your service, but you're lukewarm. And then Jesus tells them that they are, they are blind, naked, wretched and poor. But then he says, buy of me. You've got to ask the question, Jesus, how could we buy anything from you? How could we possibly buy this gold from you if we're wretched, blind, naked and poor? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 20 of chapter 3 when he says, open the door. Open the door. Me and my father stand at the door knocking. And to him who opens, we will come in and we will sup with you. We will eat with you. That is, in the first century, that was the highest order of communion, fellowship, was to share a meal with someone. This morning, if you need prayer, then please come down. But this morning, could we just bow our heads and our eyes this morning? And I want to ask a few questions this morning as we 
as we look at these words and think about these words is, are there things in your life that you need to leave behind? Because following Christ means you must leave something behind. For the disciples, they left family, they left business, they left boats. And they never asked a question. But following Christ means we will leave something behind. Do you need to do some revaluing? We all need to do some revaluing at times. We all need to put an audit on our hearts. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're saying, I need to shift from the I to the you. I want to get out of the shallows and I want to get into the deep end. And as, as we're here praying, if that's you this morning, then let God see you this morning and just stand to your feet. Say, God, I don't want to be in the shallows anymore. And Father, this morning we do come to you and we say, we don't want to be in the shallows. We don't want to be able to touch the bottom. We don't want to know you or know of you. We don't want to gain any more information about you. We want to know who you Father, we pray that each and every one of us here would would allow you to question our hearts. That we would allow you to open our hearts. Jesus, may we lack nothing in our pursuit of you. May you revalue everything that's in our hearts this morning and may you become that value, that treasure for our lives. In your wonderful name, amen. Let us stand and sing together as we finish this morning. Everything will be rosy. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, come follow me, take up your cross. But we lose sight of the fact that he's God and there's no other response that we should give him apart from that. Friends, C.S. Lewis is right. Either Jesus was a liar, either he was a lunatic, or he is Lord. My conviction is that he is Lord. If you need prayer this morning, I want to open up the altar for anybody who would need prayer this morning. And I pray as we conclude. Jesus, you are to me my Messiah. Jesus, you are the God-man that walked this earth. And from the moment you entered into our vulnerability, it was at that moment that we can look to you to understand God. And it's at that moment that we can understand that we can be friends with God because you broke down all the walls. I pray for every person in this room that nobody would live another day on the other side of that wall. Help every person to know what it is to live in divine relationship with the living God. Jesus, I just want to thank you for everything that you've done for me. 
I want to thank you that you not only expose the fullness of my heart, but you absolutely offered the fullest of the remedies and redemption. I thank you for that this morning. In your wonderful name. There's no fine print in salvation. Jesus, Jesus outlined the fine print straight up and said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. We'll get to the pep talk later. Noah's life that he lived spoke louder than any of his words. And that clip that we watched this morning tells me that we have a huge challenge in front of us. We have a generation of people that are living in a grey area And they are unaware that there is a flood coming. We have a huge challenge to live a life that draws some lines. We should be standing up for what marriage really is. We should be standing up for the fact that life begins a lot earlier than people say it does. We should also be standing up for our elderly and vulnerable people and saying, if you can create life, then you can do something about it. Otherwise, leave them alone and look after them. God calls people home when he's ready. And we should be living a life that says, my Redeemer lives. I'm not perfect, but I am, but I am forgiven. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that every single one of us here this morning would take up that challenge. Father, may we leave everything of this world behind and get aboard the ark, accept the greatest invitation of life with you. Father, I pray that you would allow every single one of us to behold you more, that we would fear you more, that we would respect you more, that we would reverence you more. Father, I pray that this would not be a challenge that, it's, that ends when we walk out the doors today, but may it continue onwards from here, I pray. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us to get as many people on board the ark that you have prepared as is possible. Father, we surrender to you and we rely and are dependent upon you this morning. We thank you for your great grace that found every one of us. Help us to walk with you, Father. Help us to know you. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook, at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.